Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that's decided to embrace the madness of 2020 as best we can. After all, here we are talking about Manchester City to an extended family of listeners. The sun is shining through a crisp late summer morning and Wrexham Football Club is potentially being bought out by Deadpool. Go on then, 2020, we'll have a bit of that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm joined today by three guests who are Hollywood in stature. We have Asan, Howard and Jack. Hi Asan, you well mate? I'm very good mate, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, yes. Um, Jack, you well? Very well, yeah. Very, Lovely. very well. <laughs> and Howard, are you good? Yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise in stature, though. So. Naturally, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a clean bill of health all round, and that's good to hear. Right, before we start on the football, I have a non-football question for you all. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Asan, um, because I know, you know, you're close to the music industry, and this might be close to your heart. Um can we still listen to the Stone Roses now that Ian Brown's outed himself as an anti-mask clown? Um, me personally, no. I'm not sure that I'll. Uh, I'm not sure that I'll be listening to any more Roses records anytime soon. Uh, I think that. Sorry to interrupt at the start, but is it balanced out by John Squire being a dude? It's not that somehow, right? I find. What Ian Brown is doing is shitting all over the Roses legacy in a way that I don't think that... I tweeted this the other day. I don't think that Noel could do that. Noel can talk about the fact that he doesn't want to wear a mask and everybody will just go, you were always a bit of a Tory anyway, whatever. Like, it's Liam's band. That's kind of the way that I view Oasis, (laughs) right? And then you kind of look at the Roses and the problem is that Ian Brown is the front man. Ian Brown is the Stone Roses. Ian Brown should close his mouth. And if he's going to keep talking like that, then he should be sure that, you know, within the next 12 months, he'll have no fans except for mad right-wing nutters. How do you agree with that? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, that means he'll have, well, he'll have plenty of fans. But, I mean, that's part of the problem. People will believe, even if you had no strong views on this, uh, on masks... A lot of people who worship Ian Brown will now be turned around to thinking that you shouldn't wear masks mm. uh, because they'll just, you know, it's like tribalism in football. You just <laughs> refuse to believe that, you know, your club does anything wrong or your players were to blame or so and so will play badly. So uh, I don't know if we, it's very hard this. I'm surprised to see the question because it's an impossible one to answer for me because where do you draw the line? I, I think we'd be uh, cutting out quite a lot of our film output, music output and whatnot if we have a very high moral bar about if we don't separate art from artists. Uh, the question is, what does it achieve? If I listen to the Stone Roses now, what what am I achieving? If if I refuse to listen to them, am I sticking it to the man? I think it'd be more if, if you have a problem with an artist who says something you know deplorable to you, then I would... What is more important to me is that I don't support them in the future rather than in the past. And I think it would tarnish new stuff that he did rather than stuff that's already happened for me. Mm, I know what, I know what you're saying. I think my own, and I, I guess I realized that I, I listened to the Smiths, right? Um, and Christ Morrissey has said enough questionable things <laughs> well, in the last two Morrissey is the elephant decades, in the room. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, He's he's just a deeply problematic man as well. Um, 
but I think that the, I guess my point with with Mozza would be that there's enough distance between Mozza's Bellendry and now for for me to kind of separate the two out, and I almost feel like the the kind of the mask Ian Brown thing and Noel Gallagher shouldn't really give him a pass is so present, it's so right now, and. You know, how would like you said then that like, you know, you know what you know what human nature is like and everybody's tribal and all that sort of stuff. But come on, let's be real. Uh, right now, if we're listening to Ian Brown over a pandemic, then are you also ringing him when your mum's got cancer and going, Ian, what do I do next? Is he now your health expert? Is he the guy you're going to go to for advice on what to do when something's wrong? I mean, it just seems a bit, you know... Like Ian Brown should shut his mouth, man. He he has a platform and an audience and a responsibility, and so does Noel. And he should close his mouth as well. If you if you yourselves want to be that dumb that you don't want to wear a mask, you don't want to be involved in that, then close your mouths and live in your ivory towers and your bubbles and don't do it. But using those platforms to rail against people who are doing something to try and save lives just seems so wildly insane and so disconnected from what. I always believed the Manchester music scene was about, but I guess in the end, the Manchester music scene is not one thing. It's a collection of different people, and some of them, I guess, are turning into dinosaurs. Yeah, well, you, and it's not. And, 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 yeah, well, they've got one good album, haven't they? I mean, I'm not. not... Ooh, bit harsh, that lad. No. That's a separate podcast. Well, okay. Yeah, <laughs> on, on a general note, is it possible to separate the art from the artist? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, I was kind of agree with Howard. Like, I don't think I'd be rushing to buy any Ian Brown stuff, but I wouldn't have been rushing to buy any Ian Brown stuff anyway. Um, mm. Morrissey, kind of similar. Like, listen to the Smiths, but you're not kind of. You're not down. Uh, well, I wouldn't be downloading any any new stuff, but like, I don't know. That's just because the music's gone downhill, and it's not helped by the sort of individuals that kind of they are uh, these days, and what sort of views they have. I just, I, I, to be honest, I struggle to care. Um, like idiots are everywhere. Mm, just yeah. so happens that these idiots have got a platform. Yeah. Like you could, I could go into the I could go into the Fletcher Moss in Didsbury and like if I wanted to I could have a conversation with someone that feels exactly the same way as Ian Brown, but I avoid him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, years ago I wrote an article about Stuart Hall when he was kind of um convicted and obviously it's a very serious offence, much more different to what we're talking about here, but I wanted to say in this article that it ha- that won't taint my memories of childhood listening to the match reports on Five Live with my dad after the game. You know, it's, it is possible to separate kind of art from the artist, if you like. Mm. Uh, and I wrote it and I thought, oh, I'm going to get so much shit for this. Um, and I put it out there and I was really surprised because so many people agreed with me and those who didn't just kind of debated it in a reasonable manner. And I thought, this is a really fascinating thing discuss and what I found as a, a kind of a few years later what I found now is it's there's no rhyme or reason to it I can't watch Kevin Spacey in a film knowing what Kevin Spacey is, you know, has done yet the roses because it's so embedded in my childhood I can listen to the roses and, and it was the same when Ian Brown was convicted of um you know on air age you know what he said to our air hostess that's no hero of mine I don't want to listen to a band whose singer says something like that 
And yet, I still listen to the Roses. So it's, for me personally, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And, and here's another one as well. I struggled to listen to the Smiths, so because of Morrissey. So, yeah, it's very inaccurate with me. But, um, it's, okay, it's a very well, grey area. We're all a bit hippie, yeah. aren't we? We're all, uh, we're all um, you know, <laughs> we don't want to inconvenience ourselves too much. So totally. We'll forget. We're happy like... to have an iPhone made in us, you know, exactly, somewhere yeah. in Asia or where. But, you know, but we're not, you know, but I, I think it is, it's about the future more than the past. It's like, you know, I, the way I give money to say a musician is I go to, well, I used to go to a lot of gigs and it's something like this that I wouldn't want to throw my money his way in the future yeah. when people come out with this or something else that I find, you know, unacceptable. So. The, the Kevin Spacey example was a really good one because trying to watch House of Cards and some mm. of the, um, some of the scenes in House of Cards are very difficult given, you know, what people, whatever everybody knows about Kevin Spacey now. That is a very, very difficult watch. Whereas listening listen to the Smiths or the Roses, um, it's not quite the same. And mm, like yeah. with Spacey, you can, you, you're watching what you don't want to watch in the, in the knowledge of what, what he's done in his own private life. Whereas there's a little bit of distance, isn't there, between the music and political or kind of social views. Yeah, well, and the I kind guess... of character he is. I mean, because you have a character he plays in House of Cards, that's not ideal for him, is it? No, no. no. <laughs> Whereas if he was a comedian, as... I mean, is it Louis... Oh, God, what's the name of that? Louis Thoreau. No, not Louis Thoreau. Louis, Louis... <laughs> Louis Thoreau. You never want to mean any Louis. Yeah, I do, yeah. I yeah. just... I can still watch his stand He's the nicest bloke of all, yeah. <laughs> yeah, electrically. No, no, of course. Louis was, um... Well, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that guy, yeah, I can watch his early stand-up um, even now because it's comedy, so it's different. Whereas, yeah, Kevin Spacey maybe playing a character and playing a dislikable character as well. I can't watch that. So yeah, Louis C.K. Isn't it? But, That's it. But I mean, look how he's been welcomed back into. You know, he's done some uh, before the lockdown. Did some comedy venues, didn't he? And he's just you know come back as if nothing's happened. So I, I, I would say what I said. I think it's like something I've been you had said about him. The influence he has, that's what bothers me most about Ian Brown. You know, people read interviews with Ian Brown and Noel Gallagher, and they are influenced. I've been influenced in the past. There's times I've had Rose's interviews in NMA, and they've said something about something, and it's influenced my thinking. Um, and so when if you're talking about, you know, not wearing a mask, God's sake, I just said, Alexander, just keep your mouth shut. Are you saying anything to add? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I like... Louis C.K. And, and and Kevin Spacey, I think that the 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 line between you know art imitating life, I think with those two is even closer than than uh, than the Roses or or even Oasis because I think the difference is to just to pick up on what Jack said that it, like the Roses in particular like were very political in their own way um, mm. from the very beginning and so. To find myself looking at Ian Brown espousing views that are views that are absolutely prevalent in the far right right now seems wildly at odds with what the Roses were about and the legacy of the Roses. Now, it might well be that Brown will argue that you're off your head, that actually you're being brainwashed by the government to think this and yada, yada, yada. But that's how I feel sat here right now. I'm kind of looking at, at Ian and I'm going, 
Oasis weren't even a particularly political band. Like, you know, they kind of played on the fact that they were dumb. So you almost excuse Noel that, that buffoonery, because they've there's been an element of that in in a lot of their a lot of their interviews, a lot of what they say, you know, there's been buffoonery in it and talking to get a reaction. That's not really what the Roses ever were. Like the Roses never really spoke because part of it was just like the music speaks for itself. And so to suddenly find Ian Brown on Twitter with a record to promote, basically doing a Kanye, it just feels all a bit wrong. And also, I think um, when they did speak to Roses, they were firmly anti-establishment. Mm. And that was something that appeals to a lot of pe- you know, people. Um, and so by saying what you say, Liam Brown, he's essentially equating wearing a mask to the establishment. Uh, and again, you know, that can be incredibly kind of damaging to someone who might be influenced by that. Um, okay, let's move on to the football. And for the first time in maybe five years, I didn't see the game last night. I've seen the highlights... Uh, subsequently, I was working last evening, and lads, I've got questions. I've got lots and lots of questions about it. <laughs> I, I followed it on Twitter. I've seen the goals. I've seen the, the, the chances, etc. Um, but generally speaking, across the ninety minutes, Asan, was it more competitive than you expected? Definitely. I mean, you know, we had three different situations that looked like somebody was going to get stretched off. One, Bernabe did get stretched off. Uh, Obviously, young Liam Delap was a bit robust in his challenge with the goalkeeper, <laughs> knocked him spark out, and then somebody knocked Kev spark out. So I think when you've got two <laughs> players that have been knocked spark out and one who's gone off in a stretcher and ends up on crutches, you can be sure it was competitive. Now it was it was to be honest, it was far um it was far more intense than I thought it would be. And credit to both sides and both sets of players for that in that. Of course, you know, Bournemouth were, I, I, I was really impressed with Bournemouth. I think that they, they weren't afraid of City. I think they played and they competed from minute one until the last minute. Um, and I think on City's side, it was kind of the same thing that it was a competitive game and they knew it and they looked like they wanted to win it. I mean, I had a, I had a sense after what Pep had said last week, that they will do everything they can to get themselves knocked out of this competition. And yet it really didn't feel like that last night. It felt like everybody on that pitch, including the first team players who came on, came on with a purpose and the purpose was to win the game. Um, Jack, Liam Delap. Um... Mint. <laughs> How Next question. Next question. Sick. <laughs> Your thoughts on his performance last night um, and just kind of generally the hype that's building around him. Um, What's your take on it? Yeah, he's just, uh, he's really, really enjoyable um, to watch. They signed him last last year in August from Derby. Not like there weren't many Premier League clubs looking at him at the time and City had a bit of a a free run at it. which they were delighted about. He's uh, people have been talking about him f- um, pretty much since he arrived. Uh, I mean, even even fans have as well, haven't they? There's been a lot, a lot of clips doing the rounds on Twitter in the last uh, in the last six to nine months of him. So there's a lot of there's been a lot of buzz about him, which you don't always get with players coming through. Um, and he just, yeah, I don't think anyone was surprised by his performance last night. Um, puts himself about. Leaves 
leave something on defenders quite a lot. I mean, he did it in the first minute. It was his. his <laughs> Can I just say, like, puts puts himself about is perhaps the understatement. Of the <laughs> yeah. But there was, I mean, there was there was two. There were two in the first in the first half. There was one in the first minute yeah. on Adam Smith, and then there was a second one which did. I don't know whether the cameras would have picked it up on the on the stream or the telly or whatever. Uh, but it was with um, Diego Rico in in the corner. Like he's, I think he shepherded the ball out for for a goal kick, and Delap yeah. just thought Delap just thought he'd go straight through him just for the hell of it. <laughs> like yeah, loving this. But then he's got like proper finesse to the when he has the ball at his feet. I mean the goal, mm. the finish is absolutely brilliant. But the most I wrote this in match report last night. I thought the most um, encouraging thing about his his goal was. That as soon as Foden took the ball on his right foot, the lap was pointing exactly where he wanted it. Um, yeah. Whereas you don't always see that with young players. You don't always see that confidence to tell someone who's a, an established first team regular where to put the ball. Give me the ball. Um, yeah, I think he's. I think he's here to stay. I don't know how many games he's going to play this year, but he uh, he looks equipped, and they think. You think he can he can take the rigors of men's football already, and I think he's I think he proved that. Well, how Pep said that he will stay with the first team because he has different characteristics and because of the injuries, of course. Um, is that a lot of pressure on a seventeen-year-old when you also factor in, you know, the reaction on Twitter last night from fans? No, I don't seem that bothered, does he? So, <laughs> well, you don't know, do you? You don't know for sure. No, you get an idea just by looking at him and how he acts and carries yeah. himself, and he just seems to have an attitude of someone a lot older. So, you know, just to go out there and just be, you know, the physicality, a lot of 17 year olds, you know, they've got reputation, they've been given a chance under Pep Guardiola in the Manchester City first team, would just perhaps not look for the ball and perhaps not be physical, even if they were a physical player, would shy away from, you know, any controversy or any attention to themselves and not be quite cautious in a way. He just went out there and rampaged his way around, you know, just played his normal game. So I don't think, doesn't seem, obviously I don't know, do I? And he's not going to be starting, I don't think, games in the next few weeks. But it just, it doesn't look phased by any of it from the little I've seen of him. So, and I guess pressure's part of the game, you know. If he wants to go to the top, he'll have to to deal with pressure, so... I think last night he ran himself into the ground for an hour and then tired, which is absolutely, you know, perfectly understandable for a 17 year old first professional game. But I, I just think he's, he might be a real asset off the bench. I know they've got a bench full of quality attacking players, but he just offers that something different. If they're chasing a goal late in a game and, you know, they get into a situation whereby they're pumping crosses into the box like we saw loads of times last year. Liam Delap's the sort of person that you want bang in the middle of the yeah. penalty area, heading heading those crosses in. Definitely. And the other thing is that he he's got this. I could be completely wrong, and that was the first time I really properly. Uh, I've seen him play a couple of times before for the for the eighteens last year, but really watched him last night. And he's got this knack as a striker of just stand staying where he is, mm. not moving, and. That didn't. Nothing came off last night when he when he did that. But you can just, I can see him getting a few tappings because he he doesn't have to be on the move all the time in the box. He's happy to just stay there and wait for, wait for the ball in. Mm, I think what I like about what I really liked about that. I agree with you, Jack. That I actually quite like that. I think that rather than 
sprinting, you know, to the left wing and then sprinting to the right wing to close somebody down. It looked like he'd been instructed to just stand in between the two centre halves, yeah, and make sure that if either of them try to play a pass in a midfield, that you're in the way for that. But outside of that, it's really it's been ages since we've had a number nine who plays just like a number nine because Aguero doesn't really play like a nine either. Like not a traditional number nine anyway. And I, I really felt that that he played that he played the number nine role as a number nine role should be played in a way. Um and I think that, that I think it has I think it has positives for the team, has positives for him, but I think it has positives for the other attacking players as well. Because I think as long as your number eights are going and linking up with your wide forwards, constantly knowing that you've got a guy who's basically on the shoulder of the last defender and in the penalty area and in that dangerous position is going to give the opposition centre-half something that they always need to deal with. And it's an option, like you say, if you have to go more direct, if you, you know, if you feel as though your wingers are being closed down too much, being doubled up on, then there has to be space somewhere and you have to have a man out there exploiting that space. And that's what I think Delap will do better than Gabby Jesus does, certainly for the moment. But, you know, obviously Gabriel Jesus will bring a lot of other things uh, to the side that uh, that Delap doesn't for the moment. A question for the three of you very quickly. Am I making too much of this? I think that that finish is really important yeah. in, in the sense that for Delap, Last night, that was like a Champions League final. Like pressure, it, pressure is relative, right? So Mares goes into the game last night with probably no pressure because he's Riyad Mares and he's probably a bit pissy because he's not getting much game time and Foden's playing ahead of him and puts in a disaster class, right? And Delap has one chance with the game at nil-nil that pressure in that moment when that ball is played and he can see the keeper and the kind of, it's just for me that it's a sliding doors moment. It's a moment that if he doesn't score that, we all kind of go, decent player, some potential, let's see how he grows. But he scores that, you see the immediate reaction from Guardiola and the bench and you go, the lad just arrived. Like, he, well, you know. It's, it's a type of goal he scored as well. It's, yeah. it's the decision he made. I mean, any striker or most strikers would go, Low drive near post there, uh, or you know send it across the keeper, but keep it low. He didn't. No, he went for the far corner, and he on just, his debut. I mean, uh, fair dues to that. It's just it's the it's the it's the sort of finish that you can't buy in the sense that I don't think you can teach that. I don't think mm. that's something that you learn. I think you've just. It's like Pep said, that smell for goals, you've either got it or you've not got it. And that finish to me screams of a player who's got that smell for goals. Um, I, d- I don't want to build him up too much, of course I don't. I don't want to put too much pressure on him or expectation. But really, this is why we're fans, for God's sake. If we can't get excited by a 17-year-old kind of breaking through what he did and making a, mm. a statement as he did. And I've long held a theory that the real genuine talents are they, they basically just smash away through at the age of 17, 18 at the latest. And so, you know, we talk about young players who are 19, 20, 21 and say, oh, yeah, but they're promising. And you think, yeah, but look at Michael Owen, look at Phil Foden, look at these, you know, players who they immediately make an impact because they are ready. 
you know, they're ready at 17. They are the real deal. So, yes, I'm getting carried away, I admit that. But for him to score a goal like that on his debut at the age of 17, I, I'm excited. I'll, I'll just go as far as that. I'm excited. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he should have <clears throat> he should have scored a second before half-time. Um, he'll probably look at that chance and say that he should have buried that, which would have made it, I mean, that that would have been an unbelievable debut. I mean, it was already a very mm. good debut as it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the really nice thing about his goal, I mean, Asam was saying about Pep's reaction and the ben- bench's reaction, Rory Delap, his dad, could he where he was sat, he could see everything. So he was right behind the pass by Foden, and then obviously watched watched the ball go in. But then he was right behind on an angle, Pep and the bench. So he actually got every everything hmm. in that. It must have been so amazing for him to sit there, see his lad score, and then see the reaction of the bench. With everything right in front of him in his eye line, it's just, uh, yeah, it was the perfect moment. It was a perfect moment for the for the club as well. I mean, I know Dolap's only been around for thirteen months, um, but that's a goal made in the academy. Yeah, it's Foden's ball. I mean, the, the ball is just exquisite to to take to take that on your right foot and then. <clears throat> volley a pass with your left <laughs> on the wrong side of the defender inside the defender it was just like I, the, the lad's just incredible yeah, yeah. There's, there was a pass earlier from Foden as well wasn't there which was just exceptional it just you know, didn't come off I think it was to, to Mares for a chance um, how important is he Jack right now to, to Pep and to the City team who Foden yeah yeah well and he I think with Foden, I think he just makes everybody around him better as well, which is such a, a brilliant quality to have. Uh, his energy is infectious, um, and he, his vision—he just sees things other people other people don't in a similar way to to De Bruyne and uh, and Silva before him. He's yeah, I mean, you kind of run out of things to say because <laughs> all that's missing is him getting 10 goals a season. That's it. That's all he's got to add now. He's got to add goals regularly. Um, and you'd, you'd have him, you'd have him in your starting 11 for, for every, every possible game he could play, I think. Well, the score is 17th, was it, last night? Um, and it's, as Howard said earlier, uh, last week in the pod, um, that's something he offers, which you know, David Silver, etc., you know, didn't. Um, Howard, your thoughts on Foden right now? And basically, okay, let, let's stick to post-lockdown. Um, it, it's really escalated, hasn't it? It's really kind of took a, a, a few steps up now as regards to his importance to the squad. And he's no longer being seen as, you know, this kid who, who hopefully will get a few minutes here and there and get some experience. He's now wonderfully established, isn't he? Yeah, I was said after. I mean, he's still not, probably not playing in the position he'd want to, ideally. Uh, but it doesn't seem to matter that much. I like him in this position. I have to say. Yeah, but you could probably put him across the line, and he'll just you know he'll do his thing anyway. So, uh, I think after the, what we said after restart, we know it was time to get into the team, be part of the squad. But in many of the games, he was the best player. Mm. You know, not just did himself enough to stay in the team. He was. He stood out in a team of, you know, world class internationals. So, uh, 
it's just quite simply the real deal, and we know that now. So, you know, it's gone from potential and he could go to the top to, yeah, he is the real deal. Just simple as that, and now an established first teamer. With David Silva gone, he's not the same. Obviously, he's not a replicate player. Uh, mm. He's different. But you can fill in, you know, you can fill that the gap left by David Silver's still, even with a slightly different skill set. And you know, what was the one of the main problems last season? It was just the drop in intensity, the lack of pressing high up the field that waned a bit in Wolves' second half when the legs went. I think, and of course, you know, obviously David Silver's my favourite player of all time, perhaps, but Phil Foden gives you far more. Pressing and mobility compared to a 34 year old David Silva. So, you know, it, 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 it also solves one of the problems from last season. I think having him in the middle of the field, especially with Kevin around as well. Yeah. Uh, Sam, from Pep's perspective, how do you think kind of Pep is, or has Pep Guardiola changed his thinking as regards to Phil Foden in the last few months? Or basically it's just, you know, he anticipated this to happen. It's hard to know, you know. I, I remember saying maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, no, maybe a year ago, I remember saying on a podcast that I felt like Pep wasn't playing Phil because one he, once he put Phil in the team, it'd be impossible to take him out. And I feel as though post-lockdown, I've almost been vindicated in that opinion, in that I sort of look at Foden's the consistency of Foden's performances across different positions since he's come into the side. And it's hard not to feel like he is, along with Sterling, the second most important outfield player in the team after De Bruyne. That basically, post-lockdown, you look at the, you look at, if you remove the defensive part of the team, you look at everything that goes forward. It's De Bruyne, it's Foden, and it's Sterling for me. And there is a battle between Sterling and Foden. And by the end of this season, I will argue that I would expect Foden to be more important than Sterling in terms of what I saw last night was the performance of a player who showed the maturity of a 27, 28 year old playmaker, the central figure in your team. And for him to show that maturity and show that quality at the age that he's at, it's, he doesn't, he won't get enough plaudits from us because we're already at the point where his excellence is normal for us. Like Jack says, he does mad things to create that goal. And all we're doing is talking about the lap's finish because we know Foden's a genius. So we can put that to one side now and go, yeah, yeah, Phil doing Phil things, but look at the lap's finish. And I think that maybe there is no bigger compliment that you can pay Phil Foden than to say, you know what? We don't need to talk about your genius anymore because you've almost proven yourself and we just know that you'll do the things that you need to do. In terms of Pep, I'm I'm delighted that uh, since lockdown was lifted for the Premier League and football came back to end last season, Phil's played consistently. And for me, Pep has always said that, you know, players win their starting positions on the pitch and in training. Phil has not put in a performance 
that doesn't make him a starter for the next game. So the fact that he hasn't been taken out, I take my hat off to Pep because it'd be very easy to look at Mares and Bernardo and go, well, look, these guys have won everything and they're experienced and, you know, they're on, Mares is probably on 200 grand a week. Bernardo is probably on not far off that, right? So for Pep to be prepared to go, no, Foden is doing more. So he plays ahead of them. It's huge. Yeah, I'm I think um, sometimes you've you've got to take what managers say on face value. And when Pep said Phil's time's coming or Phil is coming when when Silver leaves, I think everyone kind of went, "Well, you're just saying that, aren't you?" Just mm. to kick the can further down the road. But it's proven proven to be exactly right, and that was that was the plan. Um, and he's played well enough to to deserve to be in the the best starting eleven. But just going back to what I was saying before, it's like I'm I'm gonna have to think of better and different answers to be to when you ask how do you think he did last night? Exactly. Or how do you think he did at the weekend? Because it is it's just like, well, Phil was Phil, wasn't he? <laughs> like, yeah, he's the you know, he's the best he's the best young midfielder England have produced for twenty years. Like, yeah, that's that's just what he does. It's just so normal. Um, and the the interesting thing was during Project Restart was just how the rest of the country cottoned on to quite how good this lad is. Mm. I don't think anyone really. He was always that. He was always that like young lad at Man City. Oh, there's that that guy at City. Oh, he can't get a game, you know. And they, people just kind of forgot about him outside of Manchester. Um, but the runner form in June and July kind of woke a lot of people up to it. I think. Uh, the positive thing for me last night was that he was pretty much one of the senior players, certainly in terms of game time. Um, and not only did he embrace that responsibility, but he used it well, or it seems to anyway, as I said at the start, I didn't see the whole game. So um, for him to be put forward as man of the match, I mean, that's in that situation for him to say, okay, I'm one of the senior players here. I'm going to kind of run this game. That's encouraging for me. That, that shows a great mentality. Um, let's just kind of turn our attentions to one of his contemporaries, um, a lad who I really, really, really want to succeed at City. I want to see him in his first team in the next couple of years. Tommy Doyle. Howard, is that likely? Yeah, well, he's in an area that's competitive for being picked, so yeah. that's that's an obstacle, obviously. Uh, if only he was a left-back. <laughs> <laughs> Straight in the team, fast tracked all the way. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'd, again, it was. I really enjoyed his performance, but if I'm going to make, if you want to know how good Tommy Doyle is, you, you need to put him in the team, the first team for first team match. Then yeah. you really see how good players are. I struggle to make. Obviously, a really good players can shine in a match like this, but I still struggle to make conclusions in a Carabao Cup tie with a hodgepodge team that's never played together and probably never will again, when they don't really know the system that well, because this season as well, there'll be little time for training and you know, there won't be a lot of time on the training pitch and Tommy Doyle won't be part of a lot of that anyway. So it's so hard, and yet I thought it was very good, really busy, lively, good on the ball, good close control. Yeah, I really enjoyed what I saw, but... As always, I want you know you, if you're going to judge a player, you have to drop him into the first team for a match and see what he does there. And, you know because I think that's how you does he you know does he hold up to everyone around him or does he is he a, 
caught in the uh, headlights a bit. So I'd, he's not really, let's be realistic, he's not going to get the first, you know, like a league game or Champions League game. When will he get that opportunity, that opportunity to get in the centre of the park? I'm not, I'm not sure to be honest, but still got time on his side. So maybe, you know, maybe we are seeing a slight turning point where youth players are edging their way into that first team and more than they were a few years ago. Well, I mean, Jack, if you look at, you know, Pep says he's down to 13 players, mm. uh, there's fixture congestion, you know, lack of fit players, of course. Um, <laughs> I think danger of some of these academy kids kind of sticking around and playing in the weeks to come. Um, specifically with Doyle, I don't think so. Right. Um, Delap, I see Delap playing in the next few weeks. I honestly do see him playing. I, th- I just think with Doyle, there's that competition in midfield. Um, look, I, there's a lot of them going to be on. There's going to be well, a few of them are going to be on the bench. Um, Saw that on on Monday, and I don't see I, I don't see how that's going to be any different on Sunday. Uh, and then I suppose the victims to circumstances a little more well, hostage to circumstances a little bit. If Rodri goes down and does his cruciate in the fifth minute on Sunday, then mm. Doyle probably gets his chance, doesn't he? And then it's it's then up to him whether he takes it or not. Uh, I mean, the positive thing from that from City's point of view, or from the academy's point of view, is that these lads are going to be in the squad for the next few weeks. Mm. So they, it may, it might be that they, they get an opportunity to shine. Uh, and then, as Howard said, we'll get a, we'll get a clearer idea of, of quite where they're at um, once they've played some minutes in the Premier League. Do they rate him we like note, they do? By the way, sorry, sorry Howard. I should note that the next round is next week as well, so we might get to see him all again. Well, yeah. 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 Sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. Um, do they rate him uh, in the way that they rated Foden? Like, do you do you know, for example, whether Doyle is somebody that privately they're going, no, he will play for City one day, or not sure? Uh, I think with all of the, the young ones, it's it's a it's a not sure. It's a wait and see. Try and give them a chance, mm. uh, but you just don't. The, uh, you get one chance, don't you? Basically, and. If you make a mistake or you have a bad game, it sets you back months and months. Yeah. Um, like look at Howard Bellis, the EFL Trophy last year or in in January had a tough night against Scunthorpe uh, and they lost. And there were bits and bobs that came out about that match after the game, and it set him back. There's mm-hmm. absolutely no kind of two ways about it. And Howard Bellis is a very very good defender and will have a very good career. Um, but they are, you know, these games can kind of almost postpone your rise a little bit if things don't go your way. Um, I suppose what I, what I can say about Doyle is there are three three young players, uh, three young English players that went on tour to uh, or the ill-fated tour to the uh, Far East last year and there was a few kind of uh, a few youngsters there so like Perveda was there and Bernardo was there and uh, I think Nemecha went but the three that they pinpointed after that tour that would have a real genuine chance of making it a city and this is not to say that they will but they had a proper chance were Phil Howard Bellis and Doyle mm. those are the three that were mentioned to me Interesting. I think uh, for me, 
I, I would, I would hope that Doyle has a career at City, and I think that he will do because I think he's got quality. I think he's got bags of real, genuine quality. Um, every time I've seen him, he's done things that have really impressed me, both on the ball and off the ball. And I think that's the big thing as a kind of centre midfield player or a number six, whichever whichever position he ends up playing, I think it's as much about what you do off the ball as it is what you do when you've got the ball. And I think that a little bit like Phil, he, he he's, a, he's a City fan coming up, so he's going to run for days. And if you're going to run for days, you're already winning in this City team. So I've got really, really, really high hopes for him. I kind of look at Kind of look at the whole conversation. I know me and you had a conversation before we started doing this pod, Jack, and you were a bit like, I do feel like they're a bit light in centre midfield. And I, as much as I do, and I, I don't, because I look at Doyle, and I kind of feel a little bit like Foden in the sense that I go, well, I don't want anybody with those characteristics coming in until we're sure that Tommy Doyle isn't that guy. Because, you know, there's... There's not, it's not like there's 20 players coming out of the academy that you earmark and you go, he's got quality, he could make it. So the ones who do have genuine quality and could actually make it, particularly, I mean, like Sancho, people always reference Sancho, but he was super young at the time. He was like, he only just turned 17 when he went to Dortmund. Um, so from, from our point of view, looking at somebody like Doyle, I hope that he gets given a shot before we buy somebody in his position. I tell you what, you're talking about there's not 20 players coming out of the academy. There's at the lap at the lap's age. There are an absolute bucket load of quality players. Wow. It's going to be fascinating to see how many of them make it. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, there's James McAtee in midfield, Alex Robertson in midfield, Luke Mbete at centre half. who's only 16. Looks a proper player already. Uh, there's a lad of Dozy they bought from Millwall. Uh, there's another lad in, in who's, who's a number six they got from Millwall, really good player. They got Josh Adam, Liam Smith from Scotland. There are uh, Larios, left back from Barcelona. Honestly, there's a wealth that you know with the with the right manager, you'd hope that two or three of those could could force away into the first team in the next few years, and okay. ultimately saves them a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is. Fantastic to hear, frankly. <laughs> That's put me in a right good mood, put it that way. But just to turn a, a bit of a downbeat, um, there were negatives last night. Overall, it's a very encouraging display with the kids breaking through and making a statement. But um, Ferran Torres didn't have the best of games by all accounts. Um, and to use your question, he said, um, he got some stick on social media. <laughs> Was it premature ejaculation from prebubescent teens? Or is it a genuine concern? Absolutely no way to talk about me, by the way. Instead, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll start with you to answer your own question. Um, are, are you concerned? Nah, you concerned? come on. So, like, I mean, I, I was quite, I was, I was really quite disturbed by, you know, just people trying to draw conclusions from Torres's first. 90 minutes in English football. Look, I at the top, I said that I felt the game was way more intense and way more physical than I expected yeah. it to be. Um, Bournemouth, to me, I think they'll get promoted. They look like a very good team um, and they played really well. Uh, Torres got more into it in the second half um, 
and he has all of the raw materials to be a world-class winger and he looked a little bit lost in the way that Leroy looked a little bit lost in his first few performances for for City it's not a big deal I think that we forget the kind of harem scarum nature of English football sometimes and for somebody like Torres coming from Valencia it'll take him a month maybe even two months but he'll be fine how do you go along with that <laughs> well yeah obviously yeah I mean I wouldn't even waste energy on <laughs> well okay I would just it's Carabao Cup it's a Carabao Cup tie in an empty stadium yeah well, look uh, can I say playing with five kids I could name you in the last three years probably on one hand a number of truly good performances City have put in in this competition yeah and we've still won it every year anyway <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know what, the thing for me, and and maybe this is where I was a bit kind of surprised at the, at the at the criticism of Torres. Steve, I'm a little bit messing with your agenda here, so forgive me. Yeah. But, okay. So I'm going to make the contrasting comparison with Mares, right? So Mares put a really poor performance for me last night. He made every wrong decision that you could possibly make. Uh, <laughs> on the pitch like it was wild how every time he got the ball he did the thing that he shouldn't do with the football and it was so poor that I almost look at it and go look if Pep's got to pick a team for Leicester I think I'm picking Torres before I'm picking Mares because I'm looking at that Mares performance and I'm going you've been here three years lad you've learned nothing Mm. Torres has got the potential and a really high ceiling to go on and learn and to do, I'm going to use that phrase, the basics, right? And Torres did some of the basics right last night and Mares did none of them right last night. So if you had to pick between the two right now, Torres is the one that you, for me, that you'd, that you'd pick. So it's the, for me, the kind of, uh, the slagging him off on social media is really just kids and, yeah, I, I think it'll be fine. Sorry, could I just say, somebody. Yeah, so I could just say I expect sometimes senior players to phone in performances in this competition. They clearly mm. don't get up for it. Yeah. But for Mahrez, it was an opportunity. Yeah. It was an opportunity to say, you know, because he's not been in the team recently. He was after the restart. And, yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, he, not- knows, he, he knows he's going to be in the team in the next few weeks, though, doesn't he? That's... I- that game I mean, was it against that, Wolves, so it doesn't, you know. No, I know, but just because of the injuries and like yeah. the game's coming thick and fast, uh, that 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 game last night is not a game for Riyad Mahrez. It should be as a professional. You should, you know, should be able to play whatever, wherever you're playing, or whoever you're playing against, and whatever in whatever competition. But it just isn't one for Mahrez. Um He doesn't get himself up for those sort of those sort of fixtures. Um, he should, I, I think he should, but he doesn't. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, let's talk about KDB and Raz being on the pitch coming on in the second half. Um, Jack, I'm going to start with you. Was that a reckless decision by Pep? Um, did it show... Well, you know, let's look at it from a positive. Did it show just how much the Carabao does mean to him and how little, you know, he, he can will tolerate losing the game? Yeah, he, doubt, he, he wants to win it. He wants to win it every year. And the reason for that is simple, because when he leaves the club... He wants to say that he's won twelve major trophies, not eight major trophies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's just like, but it's simple. Um, uh, you know, when De Bruyne gets poleaxed, 
with 10 minutes to go or whenever it was, you're thinking, was that a good decision to bring him on? Um, but he was okay. He was fine. Um, I don't know. I, I guess there would be an argument from the manager that everybody need, you know, rhythm's his favourite word, isn't it? Um, so maybe 20 minutes or however long it was that the two got uh, gives them a little bit of rhythm for, for Sunday, uh, keeps them ticking over. I don't know. Um, but I, it's good answering what you what you said about him loving the Carabao Cup I never really understood the criticism that he's got for valuing the competition yeah um, there's, there seems to be like quite a, there's a little bit of sneering about City winning it three years on the trot and how no one else really tries uh, but City in the opening round City play kids every year don't they uh, really I mean it's competition that Foden broke through in last year at Preston Howard Bellis and and Garcia played together, uh, as obviously as he did as he did last night. So it, it's not as if he's playing his his big guns from the start in every every round. It's just that they're able to manage their way th- or engineer a way through the competition without playing everybody, uh, and they want to win it. Which I don't really see a massive problem with that. Do, do, do you think they still need match fitness as well? To be honest, because twenty minutes. Is I think not so, really... but I think you've got to you've got to balance that, though, haven't you? And if yeah. they're playing three games a week. Uh, they, they, yeah, they need match fitness, but it's but, twenty minutes. It's not going to put them out, and it's like, I mean, we lost about eight players on the training field last week to muscle injuries or coronavirus. They're probably safer on the pitch than off it. To be honest, <laughs> twenty minutes, and I mean, I I was on the you know I was watching about a minute behind, and I went into a betting site and I saw Kevin De Bruyne injury on the betting site. I thought, oh my god. To the point, I was actually quite relieved to see he'd actually just been sparked out <laughs> because I thought, <laughs> because how would Guardiola have been? You know, imagine the flack if he'd picked up a serious injury in the 90th minute of a Carabao Cup tie, which I think well, that's, exactly, Silver, that's what happened. David Silver did once, yeah, yeah. David Silver took one at home to Newcastle when we lost. So, but uh, for me, 20 minutes on a pitch in a Carabao Cup tie is no riskier for me than a, a month, you know, a week's training or something. So. Well, it's confirmation bias, isn't it? If they uh, emerge unscathed, you think, oh, great, they've had 20 minutes in their legs. If they get injured, you go, Pap, what are you thinking? So it's really kind of, you know, always said in hindsight, really, isn't it? Um, Asan, uh, a question kind of of what Jack referred to there about kind of, you know, the criticism that Pep gets or kind of a bit of sneery attitude towards his, you know, kind of love of a Carabao and, and our success in it. Last year, Jurgen Klopp didn't turn up for a domestic cup game and got not much kind of, you know, criticism for it. Uh, whereas Pep gets flack for valuing our domestic cups at double standards in it. Yeah. I mean, we, I think, I think it's fair to say we all accept and know the fact that we're judged on different yeah. standards to, to most of our rivals. So that doesn't really surprise me. I think there was, you know, many Many paragraphs written about how Jürgen had no choice but to not turn up, which is okay, fair enough. Um, and I think that <laughs> from a kind of Guardiola and winning point of view, personally, I, as, as a supporter of Manchester City, I like the fact that we have a winning culture at the club. And I like the fact that, you know, these players, it's not just about we demand that they put it all into every competition, but then they listen and they put it all into every competition. So we get to see super intense performances 
like last night, right throughout uh, the cup competition. And, you know, people have often said that, oh, well, City squad is so big that, you know, they should, that it's easy for them. And I just don't, I don't really view it like that. I think if you look across the top six, everybody's got good squads and everybody's got players in reserve who can go out and win Carabao Cup games. I think if if Liverpool decide to throw a game, then they should be criticised for that. And I think that any club that throws a game should be criticised for it. I think, like you say, I find it quite strange that City gets sneered at for winning whilst, you know, if we were to actually throw a game. Do you remember the pelters that Pellegrini took after the uh, exactly. after yeah. the Chelsea yeah. game? I mean, you know, we'd disrespected English football. I believe that somebody said that Pellegrini had disrespected the institution of English football. So, you know, I'm not sure how Jürgen didn't do that, but okay. Didn't, yeah. they, take, didn't they take the lead in that game? Yes. <laughs> they did, yeah. Yes. Yes, it just collapsed second half in a way. <laughs> the, the Kiev game wasn't to the Wednesday, so but he wanted it put back to the Saturday, the cup game, and obviously it was refused by the FA. Or mm, which is fair enough. I mean, look, I, I, I think that in a way, um, I'm on the fence about fixture congestion. I think in the end, we're all viewers and we all want to view as much sport as we can and we love it. So, you know, lots of games, great. Bring Bring them on. Um, well, on that stay, note, then, stay, um, stay. Is there yeah. an argument that Liverpool were disrespectful last night in scoring seven? I was going to say the same thing. So, yes, <laughs> I was going to say exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah. What, would seven, would two. one more have been disrespectful? Seven's okay. <laughs> now the opposition right, scored two, so it was fine because like the yeah. aggregate score was just like five nil, and five nil is fine. It's just <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, it's yeah, a true. normal win. Do you know what I mean? Let's look ahead to Leicester this weekend. Um, they've lost Ndidi, which is a huge blow for the Foxes, um, particularly as he's been kind of converted to a temporary centre-back and was doing well in the first two games in that position. Um, they're really kind of um, short in numbers at the back. And yet they've started well, Leicester. Um, let's start with you. Actually, we'll do a question each um, to the conclusion here. So on Leicester and their strengths, Howard, um, what kind of test will they present to the City? Yeah, I just can't work them out. <laughs> right. I've watched both the games, and uh, there's good bits and there's bad bits. And you know, uh, credit to them, they've got the points. That's really important because, for me as a fan, there would have been a concern that the hangover from last season would just continue mm. because Rogers does have a bit of a habit of that. You know, purple patch in a way. You know, the teams go through bad spells and good spells, and yeah, they've got it. Obviously, Vardy's just. You know, 10 years of be doing the same thing, just ploughing his thing upfield. And they're dangerous for us because of his pace and the counter-attack, of course. And got someone like Barnes giving them a bit more oomph. They're, they've got quality players, but they haven't played that well. So it's hard to know what to make of them. There will obviously be a challenge to City, but I'm confident we'll, we'll win this one. I think Johnny Evans... Obviously, might be he might be back because his suspension. I don't know if it includes all domestic right. games. It's yeah, a damn good point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that'll help them. And Mendy's done yeah. okay. You know, yeah. with Indeedy not being there, but it is a blow for them that. And they're a team that are dangerous, but I still don't think they're they're not played from what I've seen so far this season. And obviously, they went out of the cup. But I don't know if that matters. Uh, 
they're not playing at the level I saw the first half of last season, nor were they as bad as the second half. So they are what they are. They're a, a dangerous side and a, a well-organised side. But I, I do think City can get at them. I think they have shown more gaps than in the past at the back. And if City do go for them, then there will be chances and goals there. Okay, Uh, Sam, what's your team selection? How do you think Pep will kind of set us up? And um, anyone from kind of midweek, maybe a Matt Quarter's eye, and think, right, okay, I I might want to start with you. Or is that Um, likely? I mean, so Foden excelled playing not as one of the front three. So maybe that's the shift that Foden, it's a Foden, KDB, Rodri, um, midfield three, which then opens up one of the front three positions. And then it's just a question of, does Mares play against his old team, having played 90 minutes on Thursday? Or does the fact that you put in a 90-minute disaster class on Thursday mean <laughs> that, you know, it gives Guardiola the opportunity to give Torres his... Uh, his league debut. I think that in the last 15 minutes when he's stationed out on the right wing, Torres puts in two or three very dangerous crosses. Um, I, I, when we were talking about Dilap earlier, one of the things that I wanted to say was we don't have many crosses of the ball, but actually Torres is definitely a winger who can cross the ball. So maybe Torres. Um, I don't think it's a game for Dilap, weirdly enough. Uh so yeah, no, but that's 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 really about about it for me. I think it'll be a regular Pep team. So it'll be Edison Walker. Um, I think Stones will keep his place with Ake. Is Laporte back? Do we know, Jack? Uh, looking unlikely. Okay, fine. Oh, so he's so, training though, is he not? Yeah, he said last night he, was, he wasn't sure. Right. Okay. Um, so then, uh, I would, I'd be looking at, uh, Ake and Mendy on the left hand side and then Rodri, KDB, Foden. And you know what? Screw Mares. I'm going with Torres, Sterling and Gabby Jesus as the, uh, as the front three for Leicester. Okay. Uh, Jack, it's, I always seem to think of Leicester as a bogey team for City, but I mean, I think it's only three wins in the last 20 times they've played it. So. Perhaps that's not the case, but the three wins are really kind of stick out for me. They really kind of stick in my claw. They've really um, illustrated City's weaknesses at the back, particularly you know Jamie Vardy just kind of hanging on the last man every time and just kind of looking to hit hitters on the break. Is there a danger that might happen this weekend? Um, and particularly, you know, I, I, I don't want to cast aspersions here, but John Stones against Jamie Vardy makes me a, a touch concerned. Am I right to be mm. concerned there? Yeah, the Leicester are a little bit of a different different team these days, aren't they? Like the less dependent on counter attacking. Mm. Uh, it seemed like with the emergence of Barnes and Madison, uh, the signing of Telemans, they, they like to get the foot on the ball a little bit more than say when they won the league, when it was just like kind of it was pure counter attacking, wasn't it? Um, I I think City would be too strong for them on Sunday. I've got to say, even with the well mounting injury list which doesn't seem to be kind of getting any shorter um, Vardy I mean yeah Vardy's always a problem isn't he but yeah. he, he will always be a problem to every team in, in the league um, Stones I thought Stones was relatively encouraging on Monday I thought he he, he he did well I thought it was a, he needed that sort of performance um, even though you know Wolves had Wolves did have chances second half um, but I think 
Wolves always create chances against uh, against any team at home, so that I don't think you can kind of criticise Stones for that. Um, yeah, I, I think City will, as long as they're good in possession and they use the ball well, I don't think they'll have a problem. What's as your... always with them, I think it's I think it's how they attack rather than how they defend. Hmm. Yes, a fair point. Well, what's your prediction for the score? Uh, 2-1 City. Howard, score prediction? I'm going for another <coughs> another crazy Premier League weekend. <laughs> so, 4-2, really? four, 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 yeah. 4-2 <laughs> and 97 goals against across the 10 games, yeah. Hey, Sam? Um, yeah, I was, funnily enough, I was actually going to go with 4-2, but I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll go with 3-1. I think we'll, um, I think we'll start brightly and I think that we'll get I think we'll take a 2-0 lead. I think that they'll get one goal back. We'll all get a bit nervy and then we'll get a third. I'm happy to go along with that 3-1 for me too. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us today, uh, Howard. Yeah, pleasure as always. Thanks, Jack. Thanks very much. And thanks, Asan. Pleasure, mate. And thank you everyone for tuning in as always. Now, I don't wish to trivialise what's going on out there in what's become a scary and uncertain world. I don't wish to trivialise a global pandemic by comparing it to football, for goodness sake. But if last night taught us anything, or rather reminded us of something, it's that the future always burns bright. It's full of its own uncertainties, only these are exciting ones, full of potential and promise. There's a lot to look forward to, and you better believe we're going to enjoy every sweet moment of those good times when they come. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, and forever up the blues.